This episode is brought to you by BitMEX, the OG crypto exchange that is back and better than ever. You'll hear more about BitMEX later in the show. I was talking to a huge, like a uh, very, very large institution actually yesterday, talking to them about our new research product that we launched last week. And I was asking them where the market goes. They said, it depends on where Coinbase goes. I go, no, Coinbase depends. I go, Coinbase is dependent on where crypto goes. He goes, no, 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 no. You fundamentally misunderstand how these markets work now. <laughs> now that crypto is an institutional uh, market, crypto is going to move wherever Coinbase moves. So he said, <laughs> crypto stays in a bear as long as Coinbase stock is down. Hey everyone, quick reminder, nothing said on Empire is a recommendation to buy or sell securities or tokens. This podcast is for informational purposes only and any views expressed by anyone on the show are solely our opinions, not financial advice. Santiago and I and our guests may hold positions in the companies, funds, or projects discussed. Now, let's get into the show. All right, everyone, the long-awaited post-permissionless weekly roundup. We're coming at you. Santiago uh, is here with us. He has a little background noise. He is in Monaco. Santiago, I know you hate it when I tell people your location, but I have to do it for this one because you've got all this background noise and it's the F1 cars uh, racing in the background. So uh, excuse the noise. (laughs) Yeah, Welcome it's, to the show, it's a little bit like <laughs> it's like a flies yeah. in my ear, but yeah, nonetheless, yeah. which is interesting, yeah. right? Because a lot of these cars, speaking of Formula One, uh, a lot of cars are sponsored by like FTX, Binance, Tezos, like pretty much every major team from Mercedes to McLaren um, and a bunch of other teams are sponsored by crypto. And so e- even like the race itself is like crypto.com, like if you see yeah. any of the races. And like so many people, I can tell you, just come up to me and like, oh, so that's crypto. I'm like, yeah, like, yes, like for the <laughs> last couple of years, like, because some of the sponsorships, like when you see the driver in the little like protective kind of frame, there's like FDX or Binance or Tezos. And then crypto.com is like, you know, very front and center and like tunnels and bridges and all that stuff. So, yeah. Um, it, it's been crypto. wild seeing the sport. Yeah, just the last six months. I mean, I remember I tweeted something out. I think it was December of 2021. I was like, I just got off because I, I we were doing a kind of end of year talking to clients, and I'd just spoken with a lot of uh, CMOs of different companies, and they're like, I was like, what are, what are, what are you guys spending on? And they said we're spending a ridiculous amount amount of money on sports marketing. And sure mm-hmm. enough, uh, and I think they made a good call with uh, Formula One. It'll be interesting. Yeah. One thing I saw yesterday is that Pepsi, who I don't know if you're a big football guy. But mm-hmm. Pepsi just pulled out of the Super Bowl, and Pepsi's been like the oh. title sponsor of the Super Bowl. Uh, and you got to imagine someone like an FTX, uh, mm-hmm. Crypto.com, comes in and scoops that spot. Yeah, like obviously a lot of people in the, like the Super Bowl where Coinbase did uh, an advertisement. Like there's mixed, yeah. um, there's sort of mixed like uh, analysis of like how powerful that was, uh, like how many users, like like the ret- ROAS return on ad spend, I guess, like, which is a very nebulous thing. But like at the end of the day, like crypto is still very much you know, people know about crypto, but they don't know about it. You know what I mean? And so I think like it's just yeah. entering mainstream and, and you know, being part of these major events pushes yeah. the needle forward. I, guess. I, I think you'll end up seeing a lot of um, and I think about this a lot because Blockworks itself is a very sponsorship and ad based at one part of our business, at least is very sponsorship and ad based mm-hmm. like this podcast. Right. It's free for everyone, but there's there's sponsors and stuff on it. And so I think a lot about what crypto ad spend looks like. And I think you'll end up seeing a big pullback in sponsorships and ads uh, over the mm-hmm. next maybe 12 to 18 months. Uh, when you think about the number of new people who come into crypto, it always happens in a bull market, right? Yeah. Everyone comes in in a bull market. So because of that, companies really ramp up their spending. And then in a bear market, as people 
you don't really have many new people coming to the industry in a bear market. It's really just people inside of crypto kind of cycling between products and things like that and testing out different things. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, most companies end up pulling back their ad spend. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you talk about the market because, yeah, uh, well, there's a lot to unpack. Obviously, a lot has happened, um, I guess, since we last did a roundup, the market. I mean, I don't know if you want to cover like the market. Activity. I do. I do want to cover the market before that. I just want to say we missed you from me oh. and everyone who listens to this show. And uh, literally, like I, mean, I was going to say dozens. I think it might have been over 100 people who came up being like, is Santiago here? Is Santiago here? Uh, <laughs> well, speakers, um, sponsors and, and listeners. And uh, it, it's very humbling to hear that. Uh, obviously, I, I would have loved to have been there. I was actually on my way, got rugged by airlines, like, you know, to the point that I was going to miss the panel. And then it was unclear if I was going to be able to come back home and my parents are going to be here. And so it just ended up being one of those things where uh, I, I I had to, I was rugged by the airlines. And I think a lot of other people did too, just erratic, like weather and all this stuff. But maybe the world is just not prepared for people to go back to like normal travel, uh, I think. Uh, so I'm really sorry, everyone. Uh, I couldn't be there. Uh, and, but, you know, we'll, we'll do it again next year. We, we got rugs, Santi. You got to go bigger and better rugs. than next year. <laughs> so, it was, dude, it was crazy. I was on the plane. I was So so we just did this rebrand. You guys should all go check out the cover photo of, of Empire. And, and if you like it, go go share it or something like that. But we uh, before the rebrand, it was like just my face. It was like the top half of my face on the thing, <laughs> which obviously neither uh, you nor me really liked it that much. Um, and I was on the airline. Uh, I, was, I was on the airplane flying down and I'm looking at this guy like three seats in front and he's he's across the aisle so I can see his phone and he pulls it up and my face your is face. on this guy's iPhone. Yeah, exactly. So oh, it was pretty funny. Great. It was pretty funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like uh, as always, we always invite listeners to give us their feedback and it sounds like a, f a couple of folks gave you some good feedback and things that we should talk more about in the episode, which we'll try to cover this time and going yeah. forward, of course. Yeah. So let's get into it. Um, NASDAQ's down like 30%. S&P down 20%. Crypto is, you know, down, I think, what was the high? Maybe 3 trillion in November. It's down to what, like 1.2 trillion today. Global debt to GDP is 350%. Snapchat just got hammered, fell like 40% in a day. Uh, inflation still sitting at above 8%. Uh, UK just printed a 40-year high of 9%. Amazon just announced they're going to sublet $30 million, uh, excuse me, 30 million square feet of warehousing space. You're starting to see these layoffs like buy now, pay later, COVID darlings like Klarna just laid off 10% of its workforce. Bolt just laid off like 25 to 33% of their workforce. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think this is really announced yet, but I think you're going to start seeing more crypto companies doing hiring freezes. Um, and I think Travis Kling put it well in one sentence. He said, the U.S. economy is legit wind sprinting towards a recession right now. What is your framework for how you're viewing the markets today, Santi? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this. Like in the episode with Travis, I said, well, like it is possible that crypto continues to go down very severely and very correlated to the NASDAQ, which is exactly what you've seen. Um, my kind of my estimation, like I know people like price targets, so I'm just going to offer them up. I would have thought like 1500 for ETH and 25K for Bitcoin was kind of a really kind of the, bo the bottom-ish or a range where you feel comfortable, like similar to like last cycle. Um, I've sort of revisited my operating assumption uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, on the basis of like a couple of things. One was obviously Terra, which is idiosyncratic to crypto. I think that hurt us. I mean, the, it was like 40 billion, meaning more value got destroyed there than like Lehman which is like is, is, is wild. And looking further into like where people got hurt, like I think 20 to 
26% of users were from the US, a lot from Asia, especially Korea. So it was like, a, and a lot of it was retail. And so that invariably sets us back. Uh, I've always said that the, the, the biggest risk of this industry is self-sabotage. Like we can talk about like Terra, was it a Ponzi? Was not a Ponzi? I tweeted about this. I don't think it was a Ponzi. It was just like, it sort of ca- it, it ca- caught up to not building enough utility. And, and anyways, like bear markets really test the resiliency of protocols. And I don't think it ends with Terra, by the way. But nonetheless, like just going back to, because of that, I revisited my assumption. And I think like, I think like we'll probably kind of bottom, I think of two frameworks. One is what's like the aggregate market cap of, of crypto as a whole? Like where do we kind of bottom? And I think like to me, it feels like 800, 750 to 800 feels kind of about right, which, you know. 750 to 800 total market cap for crypto? Yeah, like tr- like 800 billion. We're at 1.2 today, 1.25. Yesterday was like 1.3, but the market's down today. So like that means like you have like probably I'm thinking 20 to 30% more downside from here um, going into like the second half of the year, which would probably place again, Ethan in, in like thousand ish range and Bitcoin in the 20,000 range. Obviously like I'm not a, look, it's anyone's best guess, but what I am encouraged about is a couple of things. One, I think if you have a longer than one year time horizon, you can start seeing good entry points. Because for me, like my view is that crypto is going to be at least a $10 trillion asset class. Now, it might take longer. It usually always takes longer. I think we've just been impatient, right? Um, Anyone that has been in crypto for the last two, three years has made a lot of money. And that's not because you're necessarily smart. It's just because the markets and QE and and easy printing, like the same as venture, right? but I do think that like, I didn't think, I, I haven't seen like true pain, the same kind of pain that I saw in 2018, 2019. Yeah. And for that reason, I feel like they're on the, on the, a couple of things like take a couple of quarters to play out, meaning like redemptions for funds, take a couple of quarters to see. And so that's for selling. Um, I think inflation's probably gonna continue to persist. Like food prices are up 30% on the year. You basically invaded like the breadbasket of Europe. Uh, Russia and Ukraine are like supply a lot of fertilizers for the world. Uh, a lot of countries, like 10% of the world's calories come from these two countries. Like yeah. what I'm starting to worry at is there's nothing transitory about this inflation. Um, and I think it's it's going to put a lot of strain. And so for that reason, like I'm not a macro expert, but I do think that it's sort of like I don't feel... <laughs> I don't feel like the immediate like need to come out and, and start buying just yet because I do think there's like still negative skew, like negative asymmetry in the market where I'm just kind of waiting. Um, I'm nibbing, but I'm waiting. I'm not, I don't feel compelled to like really enter the market. Obviously I'm super long crypto. I'm not shorting, um, but I'm having cash right now and just cash really. I'm not trying to do anything. I'm not trying to be a hero. In these moments, I just remind myself that the name of the game is to survive because you know, I think you and I can agree, like, it feels to me, to put it in perspective, Ethereum is worth like 280, well, no, sorry, 200 billion-ish. Yesterday, the when Snap kind of announced earnings and the, the basket of social media companies, like, wiped roughly 100 billion of market cap. That means half of Ethereum. <laughs> now, put that in, in perspective, right? Um of course, critics might say, well, these applications actually have a lot of users and traction, and, and, I, and I get it. But one's a dying industry, the other one's not. And so I think for that reason, like, you know, the NASDAQ, like, wipes out a trillion on a week. And that's just the entire crypto market cap gone. 
like we're so early. And so again, I'm trying to like present two frames. I'm not a short-term trader. Obviously I pay attention to what's happening in the market because I want to survive. I want to be there to catch the bid when people are just really capitulating. I don't think that's full, like the full extent of that. I don't think it's, it's kind of, we've seen, I think we are starting to see that we're starting to get some levels that are pretty painful for people. Um, but you know, I'm looking at, um, you know, second half of the year as, I don't know, probably weakish and, uh, I'm, I'm just going to be there to catch that bid. Yeah. Ramble. I mean, I'm sorry. What do you think? No, 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 no. I mean, I think it's, um, there are a couple of interesting points there. One is that maybe you thought we hit, hit the lows, but then this whole UST Terra thing happened. And I think one thing that's really important there is, uh, just a learning there is that it's important to readjust your expectations based on what happens, right? You should never just have one price in mind. Okay. I'm a buyer at 30 K I'm a buyer. You have to adjust to the environment. Um, Another interesting point there is that there's going to be more contagion. There's going to be more contagion in the markets, and this is going to spill out. And we haven't actually seen the ripple effects. Uh, one thing that comes to mind is like the NFT markets. There haven't been many for sellers in the NFT markets really, um, and I still think the NFT markets are insanely overvalued. Uh, and I think when you actually actually see some of this like max pain is when some of the new folks who came into NFTs start selling, uh, selling their NFTs into ETH and then selling the ETH into US dollars. Um, fund redemptions, you make a really good point. Um, company company insolvencies. And I'm not saying the, the big companies, but if you remember back in 2018, 2019, there were a lot of these like maybe five, 10, 15 person companies that kind of just, it wasn't a big deal. They kind of just closed shop. And founders went and took jobs at Coinbase, and maybe they went back to their Web2 jobs. But that's what kind of Max Payne looks like. Um, a lot of the Terra UST stuff was just really hyper-focused, so far at least, in, in that Terra ecosystem. Um, Listen, like, <clears throat> let's, like, I, I like what you said, like, I th thinking probabilities, and there's a couple of scenarios, like, again, crypto's not going to go away. Like, increasingly less, like, the probability of crypto kind of dying off is is low lower and increasingly so you have really positive stuff that goes unnoticed in these type of market environments meaning like shopify instagram um a lot of really big merchants are supporting you know nfts and and you know accepting bitcoin as a payment like the central african republic now accepted like bitcoin and there was an interesting meeting in el salvador with like i think it was 38 or 40 central bankers like Again, we've seen this movie before. In 2017, there was a lot of hype. There was a lot of companies announcing that they were going to support crypto because it's a nice thing to do and you want to be a relevant company and uh, like, you know, be cool for millennials or whatever. But it feels real now for the reason that you're getting a lot of utility. Yeah. Now, okay, a lot of protocols are just like, like yield farming is sort of what's that saying? Like, like really powerful technology, like feels like magic or feels like, is indiscernible from magic. And I feel like, like yield farming is not magic. Like let's put that aside. Right. right. But there is actual real utility in some parts yeah. of crypto. Not, not all like the idea of collecting the idea that people now want to collect a thing called an NFT. And then they open up their imagination to being, having ownership of digital content is pretty powerful. Uh, I, NFTs, whatever the, regardless of the floor of some of these like blue chip projects or just writ large the market, I think you're gonna, I sort of see the continuation of that trend. Now you might argue that people might, you know, not to the raging euphoric kind of, kind of activity that you saw, but it's not going to go away yeah. and it acts as an onboarding funnel and you get a lot of utility. What I'm trying to say with all this is I'm actually calmer now 
than what I was like six, nine months ago. I get really nervous and on the edge when I when it, it's sort of a raging bull market and valuations are like at 100 million for pre-product <laughs> stuff. Dante, you, you know who said this exact thing is Bill Gurley. And I'm ju- I don't know if you listen to All In and Chamath and David Sachs and those yeah, guys, but yeah. they just had their All In Summit and they had this panel with Bill Gurley. And Bill Gurley at one point goes, the calmest that I feel is right after the site, right after the hype cycle blows up because yeah. things make sense again. And really what you're talking about is, oh, okay, this makes sense, right? Uh, sal- salaries kind of go back to normal. Funding goes back to normal. Um, yeah, just valuations go back to normal. Like expectations uh, things, I, I, go back to normal. I feel the same normal. way, which is, and Mike, Mike and I are talking about this. I've been talking about this a lot, is things are just going back to how we believe the world works, right? And it, it got really hard to operate and run a business in Absolutely. the second half of 2021 because no, nothing made sense. It got really, really tough. Uh, and you're like, are we doing the right thing? Are we like, you know, we, we, we were pretty like still cautious with hiring and, and we're always, we're always yeah, yeah. Uh, optimistic, but also kind of cautious. And like, we're like, are we being too cautious? And, and that, and now we're, now we're kind of patting ourselves on the back saying, okay, yeah, exactly. I think we did a good job here. So. Listen, in crypto, you always have to assume that in a four time in, in the cycle, no matter what you're holding, you you should be prepared for an 80% drawdown at least. Yeah. yeah. Something like Bitcoin, right? And, and so like if you invert and you say, okay, whatever I'm holding, then I should kind of prepare for that eventuality. And I should not think about this artificially propped up number of low float coins and like adjust your spending or your plans on that. Now I think if like, you know, I get really excited now because... Like seed rounds are now properly priced, not at 50 million yeah. or 60 or 100, but actually at 20, which is a huge yeah, value yeah. human capital. Um, there's a lot of, I still see kind of a disconnect between public markets and private markets now. Uh, you have a, A16Z that just raised a $4.3 billion fund, four five, which yeah. one, four five, which one, one point five for the seed. That's crazy. <laughs> well, I'm like, well, how? What does that mean? Does that mean that like a seed is now a growth deal or the value? Well, so let, let's yeah. actually do the math on this because that was that was a crazy fun to me. So um, by the way, by the Chris way, Dixon, sh- shout out to the A16C team. Like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think like they they have done wonders to. In- no, no, I, I agree, I agree. And 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 Chris, Chris gave one of the keynotes at Permissionless, and it was amazing. And well, uh, by the way, you can watch that video on YouTube. Um, I think we're putting it up tomorrow or the next day, but. Um, Four point, let's do the math on this actually. So $4.5 billion fund, $3 billion for venture, $1.5 billion for seed. Um, this is always scary trying to do uh, public mental math here. But how much, how much does A16Z put into, on average, into a deal for uh, a seed? I mean, a seed round is no more than 2 to $3 million, I would argue. Like, like then that's stretching it. Because I think that's Series A. Like, well, Series A is probably $2 yeah. million, But like, okay, in crypto, historically, it's been lower. But assume... Okay, so let, let's say, one two, and a half let's to say two. $2 million. Okay, so let's let's call it two. Let's be optimistic here. One point five billion. They need to do five hundred deals. No, five hundred seed. Seven hundred and fifty. Yeah, I mean, it, no, it's I think it's seven hundred and fifty, right? Whatever the math yeah, is. Yeah, I'm assuming like I think they have a billion for seed, and if you're assuming like on average they're going to yeah. deploy two to three, you know, that's yeah, yeah. four hundred. Call it between uh, yeah, five. Let's call it an average of five. Let's call five hundred. Five hundred companies they need to get in that seed round. The math there is crazy. I mean, they're basically just trying to own the space. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but that so that's basically the tiger model specifically for crypto, right? Which is if you are allocated to Tiger's venture fund, you are indexing venture and Tiger just created a system where they could spit out term sheets 
on the hour, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and by allocating to that fund, you weren't getting their like portfolio managers, you were getting access to venture and you were indexing venture. And it feels like by investing in, in Andreessen, by the way, I could be totally wrong here. Um, we'll have a, the Andreessen guy should come on the podcast, but, yeah, uh, but it feels like you're indexing crypto venture. I think so. Like, I mean, no matter what, it's encouraging to, to, to see that, that there is yeah. capital that is looking to get deployed, which, which brings me to another point that I want to raise, which is, look, there's a lot of allocators that increasingly have done the work on crypto. Uh, we talked about in the episode with um, Icky Guy Guy, um, Travis. That, Travis, sorry, that we, we you know, crypto is a more investable asset class because it's bigger. Uh, Ethereum is transitioning to a more ESG friendly narrative, which is important. Um, and so you sort of think, and like the, the tier one venture funds, the latest cohort vintage that was raised like a couple of years ago, two, three, four years ago, and are harvesting now. I think the tier one, like the top quartile funds did like 2X, 2.25X. That would have placed you like in the best. Like Benchmark, for instance, yeah. is probably top. They probably outperformed because they've done some phenomenal investments. One of the few funds that has been disciplined actually in fund size. They've never right. raised more right. than 200, they, 250 million. Exactly. Which is exactly. incredible. Yeah. And I respect a, that a lot. Nonetheless, <clears throat> the best tier one crypto funds have probably done at least a 10X. Um, no, that's not necessarily going to be the case. Um, but what I'm trying to say is, okay, so if you're a pension fund, if you're a major allocator of capital, as soon as this dust settles, wherever it may, whenever it, that may be, whether it's the second half of this year, the Fed decides to kind of slow down, uh, tapering and whatever, and, you know, inflation's under control and assume that all kind of that plays out at some point, allocators like in 2008, like in March, 2020, after these huge shocks, they say, okay, I need to allocate. I need to, if I was in cash, I survived. I need to go back and make up. And I think that's the bull case for crypto here, which is whenever that happens, would they allocate to venture or are they going to allocate to the next arc of innovation to the internet? Like the highest growth area, which is crypto. And I believe that. And I think more people increasingly believe that. And so you almost have to think how many of those dollars are going to go to your traditional fund investing in enterprise software or in crypto. And I think more people are more funds are going to start allocating to the asset class at some point. Yeah. But the name of the game today, as I sit in my chair is just survive. I've seen so many funds do dumb shit over the years. They blow up and the name of the game now, now, now every fund <laughs> it's now in fashion to like put out your letters and saying, here's what we sent to founders. Hey guys, don't spend all the money that we gave you. Actually, just bunker down, survive. I'm like, well, no shit. That's all. That should always be the operating assumption. To your point, Jason. Yeah. Like, you guys yeah. have never. But I but think, I, I will money. say I disagree with some of these notes that are going out. Yeah, um, it's, it's all horseshit. I, well, if you I, have capital yeah. now, the biggest problem that crypto companies have faced over the years in this raging bull market has been hiring. Now, if you've raised around and you have a war chest, tell me why you shouldn't go out there and hire the best talent and snatch that up. Right. And build. Find yeah, out here, really here, good here are engineer. the three things that I'm just, I, I haven't invested in, in as many companies as obviously you have, but here are the things that I'm thinking about for Blockworks, right? Uh, one, and, and the ways that I'm advising some of the other companies I've invested in is first things first, get to a sustainable business model. Uh, and I'm actually curious if you agree or disagree with that, because in traditional venture, you, you actually don't really have to get to sustainable for, for a long time, uh, or at least that's been the last for the last years. 10 years, for, since yeah, QE exactly. started. 
So I'm saying try to get to a sustainable business model. And by the way, token go up is not a sustainable business model. We're really lucky at Blockworks that we've, we've boot, outside of a very small check on day one of the business, we've actually never raised capital. And so we ha- we're forced to create a sustainable business model. But that's the first thing. Token go up is not a sustainable business model. Try to build a sustainable business. Number two, keep your foot on the gas when it comes to R&D. Don't trim trim down everywhere else. Trim down your sales budget, your marketing budget. Trim down on just your operating expenses. Keep your foot on the gas for R&D and your product because at some point this bear market ends and you should try to emerge much stronger than everyone else on the product side. Once you have a good product, you can ramp up the sales and marketing pretty quickly. Um, and the last thing is just scoop up good talent. Uh, anyone who was hiring in 2018, 2019 knows that you got... Uh, it's a kind of a weird way to put it when it comes to people, but like insane deals on talent. Um, there are some amazing, amazing people that might get laid off or might realize that their companies don't have sustainable business models and will hit the market for the first time in two to three years. You should be, if you've already raised and you have the capital, you should be on the on the hunt for those people. So, and I think Sequoia actually had a good, one good piece of feedback, which is crypto companies are very adverse to hiring CFOs or director of finance or VP of finance. Um, I think because a lot of people think that a good CFO sits around and tells you not to spend money. They, that's not what a CFO does. They sit around and tell you how to invest your capital. They're like the capital allocator within the company. Mm-hmm. They tell you how to allocate that capital wisely. So I think uh, a lot of companies would be in a good place to actually hire a director of finance or a VP of finance or a CFO right now. And we're doing yeah. the same with Blockworks. Uh, I mean, we're hiring a director of finance right now for the first time. Go. So. Yeah, yeah, uh, really good points. And the thing that I'll add is, you know, it's okay if you're starting a business and you don't necessarily kind of know your monetization model. And sometimes like social media at the very, very beginning was like this. Even when Facebook was doing the IPO, I remember like a lot of people didn't understand how you monetize attention. And of course now like you see Google, um, which like attracts like 80, 90 cents of every marketing, digital marketing dollar spent goes to Google, like total monopoly. And Facebook and has a line, like the rest of the slices, like Facebook and a few other platforms. But what I'm trying to say is like, it's okay. Like I don't, I don't expect when I invest a founder to exactly know what the like viable business model is going to be. Yeah. Sometimes like you understand that you're creating something that there's going to be a lot of demand. And, and when you're investing in a network, I think if you have a lot of demand, then it becomes easier to, I think, to some extent monetize and build a business around that. So you want to kind of loosen some restraints of saying, okay, fine, it's a killer product. I'm going to take a fly on a really good founder. But at some point, like you need to understand like, how is, how are these networks going to make money? Now, thinking of something like Ethereum is easier, I think, in many ways, easier and harder, right? Because you say, back to my initial kind of opening statement, which is, let's think about for a second, how much you think Ethereum should be worth. Like, it is powering multiple verticals and applications. Um, The demand for block space goes up as there's more activity on the network. L2s net-net allow for more throughput and activity in Ethereum and supporting more users, including NFTs, DeFi, gaming, you name it, right? And so it's almost like to explain it to someone normal, I was on the road the other day and someone said, wow, it would be great. There was a huge traffic and everyone was like paying on the toll road. And it, would be, it would be great to own this business. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. It's a cash cow. 
that's kind of like owning ETH. <clears throat> Except your distribution is not tied to the infrastructure of a particular road and geography. You're basically monetized. You're creating a monetization layer on the internet. The entire services provided by the internet. Not one application like Facebook or, or Google might be the closest analogy here, which is Google kind of like, again, captures most. Search is something that is very pervasive and opens up what you do in the internet. Like there's an open canvas of you yeah. querying information and retrieving that. In Ethereum, similarly, you own ETH, then you understand that like the value accrual layer is, is pretty clear. It's more demand in the network than it's tied back to Ethereum. ETH, the substrate that powers all of this, right? We've heard these analogies, right? I'm just trying to put it in perspective because sometimes people come new to- are, are Yeah, new or like iOS, right? It's like, you yeah, know, exactly. you never think about so iOS, but all these apps- Sort of oil, the oil of the Web3 economy, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, the last thing I'll say is like, yeah. it is impossible to time markets. Like, like don't, for a second, I, I'm not like, and I always assume that I'm never going to be able to do that. But in many ways, like you're able to imagine this, you're today, you're reaching levels where you can start investing in companies that have been battle tested, that have real utility and usage, and you can monitor this on chain and see how in this environment, like the number of users that are going to OpenSea or going to some like maker and opening CDPs, or you can assess this in real time and make your own conclusions. Yeah. But you're able to pick up these names. Three years now of more progress than last cycle at the same or lower valuation. That to me feels like a pretty interesting environment to allocate capital. Yeah. It's Bef more uh, de-risked. Yeah, before you're talking about it, I, I do want to do this. Uh, I do want to talk about when you're buying, what you're buying, how you think about buying, private versus public disconnect. The private markets are still really running away from publics in, in crypto with Starkware and Layer Zero and things like that, uh, which I find pretty interesting. But before we do that, one more question on just how you're advising your portfolio companies and the companies you've invested in. Um, I think a lot of people, when they hear the word leverage, think about investing, right? They think, okay, I, I levered up, right? And in an industry where the prices can fall 80%, uh, any sort of leverage is going to wipe you out, right? Retail and institutional invest in the same assets. Institutional just manages risk better. Uh, and because oftentimes they actually don't lever up like retail does. I think that some people don't think about building companies in the same way, but maybe they should. And I think a lot of companies levered up in 2021 um, by maybe overhiring uh, and just mm -hmm. having costs get way ahead of their skis. For those companies that quote unquote levered up um, their company and maybe way overhired, now the asset prices are down 60, 70, 80%. Uh, maybe their company growth rate has fallen 80%. Maybe their revenue has fallen 80%. How are you advising those companies? Is it one fell swoop, swift action? Hmm. Layoffs, is it hiring freezes? Is it, how do you, th how do you think about advising those portcos? It's a really good question. I actually haven't been in a situation where like that's it's it's been kind of recent, but I have been in instances where this comes up and look, I mean, I think I think you trim the fat. Like it's never it's where you rip the band-aid off. It's never fun. It's <laughs> never but but survive like survival is the primary key here. And whenever a company is raising capital, I would say you have to assume that like you have to at least survive for for 18, 24 months. Um, well, there's one thing that like, so, so, so I like, one of the more interesting observations I got recently from when one of really good founders said, look, one engineer does like 80, like literally 60, 70% of all the work here. Like we could not live as a company without this engineer. And I have 20 others. 
I could live without 80-20, right? It's across sales. Not even. It's, it's like a power yeah. law, right? It's like one yeah, yeah, one yeah. or two really good engineers. Go find that one person and retain him and pay him well. Um, and I think sometimes like in these bull markets, it becomes like, well, let's just fill roles and bodies and community managers and all this crap. It's like, listen, stop going to conferences, cut the crap, go home, build a fucking good product. That's it. You don't need to go to any, like no disrespect to permissionless. Like I think conferences are important. We haven't seen social, like, like we, we've been kind of in COVID and it's difficult. Sometimes it's great to go to conferences, but if you're a team, I go to conferences because for me, it's great to meet all teams and it's a good like environment, but I am wary of teams that constantly go hop around a conference circuit, go to one conference a year. One of my best investments was meeting Stani at DevCon in Osaka. That's it. I saw the booth. I'm like, wait, wait a minute, Ethland? Like, and I met Stani and that was one of the best investments I've ever made. Full stop. But it hadn't I not been there, it was difficult. But like no amount of financial engineering is going to fix a crappy product. You need to build a great product. Go find the right engineer. I think you're going to be able to find that. Of course, like really good talent might be dissuaded from entering crypto right now. No, but on the other side, there are a lot of the Web2 folks, their RSUs are underwater yeah. by so much. It, it's it, insane. You read my mind. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think it's, uh, look, the name of the game is surviving. And, and, and I think it, this cycle will be testing the resiliency of, of protocols. If you're just some sort of nice yield farm that's not providing much value, you're going to be wiped. Yeah. Like people are going to, like, that's it. But now is the time to deliver on your promise and deliver on your roadmap. Um, one thing that that I find interesting from a lot of these venture folks is we'll see how much of this capital actually gets deployed because I guess what's important is I think we're like on record record number of commitments to funds, but not actual capital calls. Yeah. Because when you hear, it's important, when you hear a headline like, hey, this venture fund raised, say Andreessen, like four and a half billion. It's not like they, they get haven't called the capital. They haven't yeah. called the capital. So tell us how that works. Okay, let's say someone raises $1 billion. How long does it take to call the capital? How many capital calls do you do? When do you decide when to call the capital? How does that actually work? Uh, it depends on the fund. It depends on like their deal flow, right? Sometimes they might... Uh, call in it a lot of times when it's a like in this case they might call depends on the like the quantum but they might call like 10 percent of the fund so they probably called 150 million or so which if they're deploying you know that might last them six months or three months depends on the market environment in, in bull market you did open sea you deployed at what is 100 million in open sea like okay well yeah like you can see a path towards calling capital pretty quickly like a 16 c raised up fund like not too long ago was it a year ago yeah, the two point two billion, billion and a half yeah, fund. Yeah. yeah, something like this. So, like, uh, how much of that's been deployed? Probably a decent chunk, not all of it. How much of that's been called? Probably over fifty percent. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, you know, I think like you you should reasonably assume that most of these funds have a ten year horizon, of which five years is like their investment period. So, capital probably gets called over that period. I would th- I would say like asymptotic, like you probably call fifty percent in the first two years. Um, but it kind of depends on the market environment, depends on the fund, depends on the manager and their strategy. But, yeah. yeah. Speaking of funds, by the way, I think this in the bear market, you're going to see a separation between crypto funds and non-crypto funds. Uh, in the in the bull, you had like Tiger, and you had all these uh, non I would call them non-crypto funds who are allocating to crypto, and they're actually doing quite well. What ends up happening in the bear as we go into like the depths of the bear? 
Um, and even I've just noticed this anecdotally on calls, a lot of the ones who developed this like, quote unquote, really deep interest in crypto in the prior bull, they're going to lose their conviction in the depths of the bear. And you're going to have funds that have these like considerable vesting token positions from years past. And it's important to remember fund managers are just people too. They get scared. They get jittery. They are worried about their career. Um, and if they start profit taking, right? And I actually think that sends the markets down even further, but it actually kind of separates the yeah. the real crypto investors from kind of the, I, I don't know, I don't know a better word for it, but like the fluffy ones. Yeah. Well, I think it's a really good point because Tiger is down 40% this year. Yeah. Uh, well, from its peaks, uh, I think this year, 40%, probably now a bit more now, 40, 45%. Yeah. Um, now, let me ask you a question. How much do you think crypto is a percentage of their portfolio? Five? Two, five percent? Um, Seven? Five, yeah, five. Less than five. ten. Yeah. Can we agree? Probably less than ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I don't think they have more than a billion dollars in ETH. No. Now, it's liquid. What do you think they're going to chop? ETH. <laughs> Got exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. I think. And yeah. so that's why, uh, have we seen that? Maybe. I think a lot of... Well, you, I mean, it's not just ETH. You, you cut the longest tail of... You cut the risk assets, yeah, the, the right? Risk, and the for them, assets. as they view it, the ETH is farthest on the risk spectrum. Yeah, like how so, many portfolio and, managers and, are covering crypto in Tiger? How many of them are covering enterprise software? Right, exactly. Who's going to pound so, the table? When Chase says, you, hey guys, we're getting redemptions. We need to chop. What are you going to chop? Yeah, all of crypto, gone. Done. Yeah, done. That's probably going to happen second half of this year. And I want to be there. I want to be there to buy. <laughs> Empire is brought to you by BitMEX. With the launch of their spot exchange, BitMEX is running an insane promo right now. We wanted to give you the inside scoop. Here's the deal. For the next two months, users who trade $250 worth of crypto on BitMEX's spot exchange will be entered into their million dollar giveaway. Prizes range from thousands of dollars all the way up to $500,000. That's right. Trade 250 bucks on BitMEX for a chance to personally win $500,000. Beyond the million dollar giveaway, new users can also get up to 200 BMEX, B-M-E-X, that's BitMEX's new token coming soon, just by creating an account and going through KYC and trading. So you can actually get BitMEX tokens just by creating an account and trading. The more you trade, the higher your chances of winning, what are you waiting for? Go to bitmex.com today. Sign up for an account, bitmex.com. Exactly. So <laughs> good pivot into, I'm, I'm assuming you're still not buying. I think you actually mentioned that. I'm yeah. also not buying yet. But if I, I think if I was smart, uh, I probably would be buying, right? Because those who try to time the absolute bottom, it usually doesn't work. Yeah. Um, well, for well, me, well, well, let's put it in perspective, okay? Like yeah. I'm very long crypto. A lot of it is no, 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 no. Let me just say, I'm, I'm not selling any crypto. I'm very right, yeah, the yeah, same yeah. way. We, I don't think we need to preface that. Yeah. I, went, me, I went to cash. I, I went to cash like Q3, Q4 last year. Q4 last year. Well, way to give uh, me know, the hint. 20, 20. Tell me when you do these percent things, of my, my friend. Twenty five percent of my book was in cash. Yeah, uh, November, uh, November, December yeah. of last year. I just wanted yeah. to end the year in with in a well capitalized position, and that ended up being a good call, I guess. Uh, I've deployed a decent chunk of that into privates over the course of the last two quarters. And and so, but now I'm I'm not like as compelled yet. But as I said, you know, I, I think I will start nibbing. I don't know. Like yeah. it's starting to feel like 
actual pain? Like I still think it feels like you're fighting the Fed. And that's the difference here is that every single crypto cycle has been with the momentum of the Fed behind you. Even if there's a, um, a, a crypto bear market, you're still, you're still riding the waves of this colossal global macro bull market. And this time is different for the first time ever in crypto's history because you're, you're fighting the Fed and you're, we're going into what feels like a global macro bear, right? For the first time since 2009. Uh, yeah. When does that change? I have no clue. No one has any idea, but it does feel like you're fighting the Fed until maybe into late Q3, Q4, maybe early 2023. Uh, and so that for me is the reason I'm not doing anything. It's like, I just, do you think you've, are you, do you think we're going to see triple digit ETH, like sub thousand? I do. I, do I think we see triple? Yes. I think we see triple digit ETH. I think like, the like ETH merge. 900, 800, 600, 400. Um, I don't know. This is real. No, I don't know. It's real. going to zero, guys. So here, so here, yeah. I mean, what I think ends up happening is like, I think the ETH merge, I'm incredibly optimistic about the ETH merge, but not on price in the short term. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In a bear market, if you remember, like in a bull market, everyone loves the fundamentals. They're like, look how much cash flow is Axie Ax- is spitting off. Look how much cash. They love the fundamentals. In a bear market, there is no fundam- There is nothing that can turn a, pri- a, a downward price back around. It ju- it's it's almost like, I think Kane said this, it's like any any news or anything about your project is bad news because you yeah, rem- it reminds people, it reminds people that they're holding that asset. And yeah, I think, I don't know, I I want to believe folks like Travis and, and the framework guys who say the ETH merge is going to be really, really exciting. I think the framework guys said that, but it feels like there's too many cards against us. So um, yeah, what, what do you think about what do you think about the ETH merge? Are you do you think that moves the price or do you think it kind of just we we cruise right past it? No, I think you said it very well, which is on the long term, hugely important. Yeah. And and you know, it sets us up really nicely. But I'm not gonna I mean, historically a lot of these events have been not well priced. The IP fifteen fifty nine, yeah. every single block ha- like Bitcoin having event is not priced in. But you're right. Again, these are changing times. I am not old enough to be investing in uh, in my professional investing career, which started right after the financial crisis. I've never been in an environment that doesn't have QE and cheap money. Yeah, and I like to remind myself of that. Like I was talking about with my my parents yesterday. I said, "Look, I, I I consider myself being extremely lucky to have caught this Bitcoin bug early on, and also, but I need to also remind myself that." Even if I were investing in other things other than crypto, it would have made a lot like it would have been a very favorable environment. If you were in stocks, if you were in basically long innovation and, and farther end of the risk spectrum, if you're willing to take risk over the last 10 years, you were handsomely rewarded. Does that make you a great investor? Not necessarily. Yeah. And yeah. so like, I don't know, like I feel like the average most people come to crypto, it's exciting. You understand the potential, but narratives always get ahead of fundamentals. And I am maybe I'm overcorrecting or being overly cautious here because I don't, I think we're entering kind of, there are a lot of things that I don't understand and in flux and look, some of the best investments you make and they feel really, really uncomfortable. I remember when I first bought ETH, the ICO, it it felt extremely uncomfortable. I listened to Vitalik speak, but I never saw it. And then I, I bought a bunch of ETH and then I looked at him, like I saw a video and I'm like, what have I done here? Like, <laughs> this is an 18 year old kid who came working from like Bitcoin magazine and like, I love Vitalik, but like, you're like, wait a minute, I just invested in, like this guy's trying to build a world supercomputer and you, you could feel that he's really smart, but 
it felt candidly, a lot of people don't like to go back and like, you know, it felt to me very uncomfortable. I didn't necessarily yeah. do it because I believed in, like I loved open source, but there were a lot of other protocols at the time that were trying to do what Ethereum was trying to do, like MadeSafe and like a few others. Um, and it's important to like understand that, I think, because, and, and I like to remind myself of that because there will come a time where I will start buying. Hmm. And, you know, near term, I might just feel like an idiot. But, you know, if you, again, if you have a longer than one or two year horizon, I think you'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- yeah. I think. Yeah. Keep in mind, it's only been six months since the top. And usually if you look at past cycles, you've got the first couple months or like you unwind. I think it was um, uh, Ian from Syndicate had this nice thing. It was like the first couple months you unwind and stabilize. The next uh, like five months, you you restructure, you refocus, and you start collaborating with others. Uh, by the end of the first year, you start to get these kind of breakthrough discoveries. Then yep. into year two, you start building and you've got growth. And then after maybe 18 months, two years, you get the new bull market, which ends up being bigger than the last one. And yep. we, keep in mind, we've only been six, uh, or what, yeah, six months into this bear market, depending on how you want to define it. I think we can close the price conversation and buying conversation mm-hmm. with two things. One is uh, you're saying, how, how low does ETH go? Let's look at the numbers from the last cycle. At $20,000 Bitcoin, Bitcoin is down 70% from the all-time high. In pretty much every other bear market, it fell like 85 to 90%. So down 70% from the highs would be the best bear market we've ever had. And that's at 20K Bitcoin. When that happens, or if that happens, I should say, expect pretty much all of the other long tail of assets in crypto to be down 85 to 95% from their highs, if if they're quality. If they're not quality, they go to zero and they never bounce back up. but yeah. if they're quality. Uh, and, and the last thing I would just say on price is <laughs> know that selling here and losing, in, actually, not about selling, know that losing interest in crypto here will likely cause a lot of future regret. Yeah, like, guys, we are entering, like, I again, my long-term thesis is, is unchanged. I was advising a bunch of founders in the Alliance DAO. I said, guys, like, you got to remember why you did that. Like, it is important to write yeah. down shit and say, this is my thesis. It's important. It's okay to change your thesis and update your assumptions. Like, absolutely. These are all operating, working hypotheses that need to be updated with new information and uh, probabilities. But again, like crypto, there's more regulation coming, which I think is going to be positive. Yeah. Long term, my thesis is unchanged. Now, yeah, of course, this is a healthy cleansing of a lot of garbage out there. A lot of garbage. And that's fine. Like, look, in these moments, there's, I mean, this could be a huge wealth transfer from people that believe in this. And I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not a hodler, like a diehard hodler. Everyone, the last thing I'll say is you can't listen to a lot of these people give you advice. I don't like to give advice on this stuff. I don't like to give price targets because I might, I might change my mind two seconds after I said something. And it, I made this mistake in the last cycle. I didn't have, look, I've sold ETH at 75 cents. I've sold ETH at six, seven, 18, 24, 100, 150, 4,000. And everywhere along the way. Not a lot. I've sold more stuff than ETH. ETH has been probably the thing that I hold on to the most over time. But what I'm trying to say is like, I, I look back and the mistakes that I made is, are because I didn't have like a good understanding of why I was doing something. You didn't have conviction that you created yourself. You listen to other folks. I, I may, I've made that mistake so many times in crypto too. I, I listen to someone say 
they're buying XYZ token, but not realizing that they don't tell me when they're selling XYZ token uh, or just the full scope of that. So, no, I agree. I want to um, move into a couple of predictions mm-hmm. with you, Santi. Yeah. And one, so you tweeted on May 15th. I mean, that's your bottom. That's your, you, you had some nice tweets recently. That's your bottom signals tweet. I've got <laughs> a link here. I'm going to permission this. I was just like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, you had a predictions for I think the second half of this year tweet, and the first one was that Coinbase would be acquired by large TradFi. Coinbase has fallen from I think they IPO'd around like eighty or ninety billion, or maybe that was like their high. Um, mm-hmm. They're at what like? Let's pull it up. Fifteen billion today. Fifteen Old billion Coinbase stock. Yep. Yeah, Sorry, fifteen and a half bucks. billion. Um, I tweeted that, by the way, like when it hit 50, I tweeted that when it hit 53 and it announced earnings and it was trading at like close to, I want to say like, yeah, nine. Well, I I usually agree with you on most of your predictions. I strongly disagree with you on this one. Um, So I want to get your take on why you have, like, what is the probability of this happens? And like, what is your conviction around Coinbase Coinbase acquired? acquired? Yeah. Well, let's What's the thesis here? Yeah. If you're a large financial institution, Look at what Coinbase and look at what JP Morgan's now doing and Goldman. And these banks are like increasingly servicing and trying to catch up to service their customers that want the ability to buy crypto. And I think they're going to, when you've been neglecting an industry for so long, you want to catch up to that. And a very easy way to do that is by acquiring someone. Coinbase, we look at their business is taking a hit, custody and, and trading has gone down and there's increasing competition for folks that get, like, I get it. I understand like the, how and why the market has reacted the way it has given their PL and their margins and like history behind that. But if you're a JP Morgan, like why wouldn't you acquire something for 15 billion? It's a drop in the bucket and it puts you immediately on the map of, of being able to service customers. Coinbase has regulatory modes. They have people internally that are, you know, know how to operate. I think I think it's one of the few two or three exchanges that has never been hacked. So there's a lot of IP there that I think is worth something. And Coinbase is still synonymous amongst a lot of institutions and especially in the US with buying crypto. Like you think of crypto, you think yeah. of Coinbase. No, no, I agree and, with that. And that's worth, I think, at least fifteen billion. That think I think that's worth twenty, twenty five billion if you're JP Morgan or someone. This is probably on your radar. Yeah. Okay, so I agree with that. Um, how much cash does JP Morgan have on hand? Cash and cash uh, equivalents. Like a lot. <laughs> yeah. Okay, 750 million? That sounds low. All right, we can pull this number up later. 44 yeah. billion? That sounds more. Okay, so, anyways, so JP Morgan's got a bunch of cash, obviously. They go to Coinbase. Why would Coinbase, why would Brian Armstrong, who's been through the 2015 bear, the 2018 and 2019 bear, why is he dumping at the bottom? Why is well, he selling coin? Or, or you're saying it's not up no, to No, he's a fiduciary responsibility to deliver the most amount of value to investors. Now, I don't, I'm like, he can God, get sued. You gotta if feel, he I, I got to feel bad for Like, if that happens, I just feel shitty for Brian Armstrong because. Well, it's not a private company, right? So, like, they have public shareholders. There might be an activist there that says, you have to sell. And, and I think that you bring a committee that does an independent appraisal. And is it a fair deal? It's a fair deal. Now, Maybe he can block it by virtue of voting shares and super like because he can veto it if he wanted to. Uh, I think it was a paradigm through the other founder um, who bought a bunch of Coinbase at the bottom, like at 55, 60 bucks. I think they bought like a couple hundred million, like 100 million or so. Um, And so 
But I'm trying to say is when you're a public company, you have more pressure from independent shareholders to unlock value. And so if some if JP Morgan comes in and bids, I don't know, 120, 100 bucks, like, you know, you kind of have a fiduciary responsibility to at least entertain that bid. Um, now, sometimes people have structures that prevent from a hostile takeover, if you will, but it's still might create like a bidding contest to, to buy and scoop uh, Coinbase. Hmm. Like you can always have a shareholder knock on your door and say, we want to take you down. Like you have, like that's it. Like, I mean, I guess like they're called hostile takeovers for a reason. Yeah. God, I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I, I would disagree here, but well, we will, we will see. Yeah, um, I'm, ju- I'm just looking at like, I, I think I've been thinking increasingly about like, would you rather own like clean spot Bitcoin or Coinbase? Because uh, I mean, one is pretty capital efficient because you can like use that as collateral to buy out. Like you can stocks, you can use pretty easily as collateral, and crypto not so much. Uh, you're yet. going to the dark side now, Santi. Let me stop you. I know. Uh, going I, any I know deeper I'm just saying. <laughs> just me, think about this. I, no, don't no, answer no, I it, but just think about like if you're an institutional player, like would you rather own like Bitcoin or Coin, like Coinbase? Yeah. Stock? Well, I was I was, I was talking to a huge like a. Uh, very, very large institution actually yesterday talking to them about our new research product that we launched last week. And I was asking them where the market goes. They said, it depends on where Coinbase goes. I go, no, Coinbase depends. I go, Coinbase is dependent on where crypto goes. He goes, no, 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 no. You fundamentally misunderstand how these markets work now. <laughs> now that crypto is an institutional uh, market, crypto is going to move wherever Coinbase moves. So he mm. said, crypto stays in a bear as long as Coinbase stock is down. Mm. I hadn't heard that take, and that's a very yeah. tradfi take. But that was his take, and I, I've, yeah. and he manages billions of dollars, and so I found that found that quite interesting. Three things, just to round this out. Three things you could arguably call them leading indicators or important indicators, KPIs, if you will. One, the price of Coinbase. Um, two, crypto as a whole is now considered a leading indicator for risk appetite in the market. Like every single me, like CNBC, Bloomberg looks at crypto, talks about it because it's it's inherently like a very real-time 24-7 barometer of willingness to take on risk in the market. And so that's interesting for any allocator of capital, whether you like crypto or not. It's just sentiment. It conveys a lot of sentiment in the market. Um, and three is I would monitor very closely the premiums and or discounts of grayscale shares of ETHE, GBTC, mm. some of these things. Historically, they've traded at a premium. Now they're at a pretty nasty premium, discount. Premium in a bowl, discount in a bear. Premium in a bowl. And historically, mind you, a lot of people didn't want to touch like – the underlying assets. So this was an easy way to pay up for convenience. Now that's as custody solutions become more prevalent, like that goes away because you're, you know, it's, these are closed in funds. And so you can't really yeah. unlock value that easily. Yeah. Let me ask you about one of these, one last prediction that you made here. Uh, you said a few crypto funds close shop, blow up or deeply underwater when Luna, UST, Terra, the whole debacle went down. Um, a lot of people started pointing at like jump, Three Arrows, Arca, Galaxy, and my gut reaction was like, people love to point fingers. Those funds are going to be just all right. They're going to be totally fine. Like they're they're big enough that they're going to be fine. My worry started to look at maybe more of the, the $50 million funds. And this is because if you remember back in 2018, 2019, 20, uh, March of 2020, the funds that blew up, it wasn't the billion dollar funds. It was the folks who had 20 million, 30 million, mm-hmm. 50 million. So just, I mean, what what is the scale of, when you say a few crypto funds are going to close shop and blow up or they're going to be deeply underwater. First off, I think it's important to recognize there's a difference between blowing up and then just being too underwater 
Uh, so you so you just close shop. So yeah, maybe if yeah. you could touch on that and then touch yeah. on who you think uh, maybe closes down. I think it's the latter, which is uh, like Melvin Capital, for instance, the guys that were like shorting GameStop and got yeah. totally blown out by like, you know, the, they closed shop recently because they, they returned capital some to investors and they said, listen, we're so deeply underwater that it's hard to retain cap. It's hard to retain employees. It's hard. It's very difficult. So they're going to start over, which is kind of like a, like if you're an LP, like it's, it's pretty like, you know, frustrating, I guess, when like these people just close shop and say like, it's going to take us three years to like make money. So we're going to start a new fund and, and like, you can do that now again. Uh, and no, it's, it's like, it's restart. like fi filing for bankruptcy for if you're a company. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think that a lot of funds are going to be in that situation where like they're so underwater, like they're down 80% that, you know, it's becomes difficult to, yeah. to retain talent and big maybe funds, just small funds, any like tier one, I don't have anyone in mind. Like, I, I think a lot of people like got hurt pretty badly by Luna. Uh, obviously we saw which ones. some, some people actually came out all right while I was shorting it or like were able to profit. Pantera came out with a letter saying that they made like 1.7 turned into 140 or 146 or something million. So, you know, it's not certainly blowing up. Um, other funds lost a lot of money. Uh, but, you know, like I think if you're doing proper risk management, like Luna was never more than 10% of your book, 15% of your book at most. Hash, I think probably more. I think between Axie and, 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 and Luna, it's a pretty sizable share of their portfolio. Um, the other one is just reputational risk. I mean, the market has amnesia. So I think like, like even if you have a tattoo of Luna, like I think you'll be okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I think it's it's really that where it's not just Luna that's traded down so so badly. If you're down eighty percent, it's kind of hard to recover from that. Yeah. Uh, if you're a whale, fine. If you're an individual investor, fine. But when you're allocating and have managing people's money, and you have redemption schedules, and yeah, it's mind you, redemption schedules that might come from people that want cash because they're chopping crypto. Because they're still up. If you've been in an LP and a lot of these funds, you have a one or three year lockup schedule. You're still pretty up, at least fifty percent. So you might take the win and, and leave. Yeah. And so that's what I worry about. That you have a lot of these redemptions for selling in a Q2 in a early next year, and that creates more pain in the market. Um. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, it feels like the. I think this is the last thing we can touch on. Then we can close it down for the day. Is uh. It feels like the discrepancy or, or maybe the desire to do privates instead of publics. It feels like people are so scared to touch public markets right now. Yeah. Uh, Starkware yeah. is raising it or just raised to eight billion. Layer yeah. zero, it got leaked three. that they're raising at three billion, right? Yeah. And so, keep in mind these deals. You know, we were talking to the Layer Zero guys a while ago that people have been rate a lot of these numbers that you see. Those were deals that were closed or nearly mm -hmm. closed weeks, sometimes even months ago. So keep keep that in mind when you see some of these yeah, numbers. Yeah, but true. it does feel like the desire to do the privates is still so much higher than publics and that the opportunity over the last year and a half has shifted to pri uh, has gone from privates. Now it feels like it's maybe more in the publics. You mm -hmm. are a real you are really focused on the privates. You've always been early stage seed. Um, does this change your mindset and how you approach the markets? Absolutely. No, there will come a time yeah. where I buy a lot of liquid stuff. Like ETH, it's yeah. I'm glad you brought this up because it's very hard to outperform ETH in the long term. It's hard. Yeah. Most funds don't, like literally. Yeah. You benchmark their performance against ETH and it's very, very hard. Yeah. And so on a risk adjusted basis, if you sitting here today, ETH is pretty compelling to me. Again, none of this is financial advice, guys. But you know, I've my average entry point into 
100 plus deals that I've done over the last like six, seven months has been like 30 million fully diluted. I feel yeah. like my margin of safety is pretty high if I'm investing. This is what Bill Ty is saying. And really competent founders that are not going to give up and build a product that people use and love and care about. Some of them are going to die, but you need one pretty good one or 10 out of, you know, t- at least five, 10% of those to be uh, huge outliers. To, to, it's, a, it's a power law distribution. Yeah. In yeah, the totally. early stage. Yep. But I, again, like ETH, there's a lot of really positive catalysts. I like Bitcoin, you know, as well as a just general hedge on the world going bananas. Um, and so like, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, I think it's the thing with public is, and this goes back to the hardest thing. And someone commented when I was making these predictions, like, just tell us when you're selling. And I'm like, give us some advice around that. And honestly, it's the hardest thing to do. It's super hard. E- even, even investing in early stage, at some point you need to be faced with a situation where like something becomes 20, 30, 40% of your book. What do you do? Yeah. And oh, I think when it, where it gets really tough in crypto is, oh, not just in crypto, but uh, public hedge fund managers is when you're very public facing for that thing. So like hashed Delphi, it was very tough for them to uh, sell Luna because they're so public facing and they're they're marketing and their brand. Yeah. Yeah. It is really hard. Managing risk is like, I like to tell founders say, listen, I need to manage risk and rotate capital into my strategy, which is private. But once you go public and you're worth, it's like, I'm trying to make at least a 10 X and I need to believe that I can make a 10 to 50 to hundred X on an investment. If something's already trading at a couple billion, it's very difficult for that to deliver more than that. And so statistically speaking, well, just tell founders, look, I, I need a harvest. Like at some point you need to take profit. It's okay. Like, you know, hodling is fine and we hear these crazy stories of people like hodling a bunch of bitcoin and eth and just you know become like what they are now like that's great but every strategy is different so like i think you need to take profits along the way generally speaking you want to be selling when there's a lot of euphoria in the market uh which makes me really uneasy like i I wake up in the middle of the night i'm like it is crazy that something's going up like the market just felt like it was going up and up and you're like at some point it's like an earthquake this is what I was worrying for a long time. And one of my worst trades was like shorting, <laughs> was like uh, shorting. Oh no, I was going long interest rates in like 2014. Like I felt like interest rates are like, it's like it can't go lower than this. And then of course it goes negative. I'm like, it was, I went like tripled, triple levered, like ETF of like long interest rates. Man, did I get blown out there? Like it was a terrible trade. <laughs> I just didn't realize that this party could keep on going for so long. And it's sort of like nature, I think, offers a lot of cues into designing protocols, designing companies. It, I, I always like to read like biology and like understand how nature works because nature offers a blueprint to designing things that are probably more sustainable um, because it's it's sort of like a very beautiful design that has order. There's, it's, there's chaos, but there's also order. Self-ordering systems, I think, are the ones that end up surviving in this kind of adversarial state otherwise there's entropy and like in markets like it's like earthquakes the longer the longer that an earthquake doesn't like the longer there's that time passes and there's been no earthquake it's sort of like this idea that like there's going to be a stronger magnitude earthquake you almost want to have like tension be released over time right as opposed to these tectonic plates like not releasing a lot of that tension 
No, I'm not a biologist. I'm not like a Here, here, here's so. your Here's your nature analogy I'll throw out at you if we're uh, sticking on this yeah. theme. Bear markets are like f- uh, forest fires, right? Forest fires rip rip through. They kill like 90% of things in their way. But the 10% of things that are left end up getting built much stronger. Um, there we go. And that's that's what we see in the bear market. So anyways, man, I think that's a good time to call it. Um, yeah. Hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully we're all in that 10% and you don't get burned. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> yeah, don't get it. burned. Don't get, put on your, put on your fire suit and survive. Yeah. Survive. Stay healthy. It's important to, you know, you know, if you need help, it's painful. Everyone yeah. that has been long innovation is hurting. Know that. Yeah. And reach out to people. If you're really in a bad spot, reach out to people. There's never, you know, it's never too late. And listen, we've all been in situations where it's not fun to see your net worth collapse 80%, 50%. It's not fun, but that's the name of the game. You either learn to love it or you go and invest in bonds and, you know, call it a day. <laughs> Don't invest in bonds. Uh, keep, keep, <laughs> stay interested in crypto. Um, I do have to make a call out. It feels weird to call out uh, this right after you make that heartfelt um, uh, comment there. But we are sitting at 88 reviews on Apple and 85 reviews on Spotify. So we're 12 away on Apple from 100. We're 15 away from Spotify. If you've made it an hour into the episode, please stop what you're doing before jumping into your next podcast, before going back to the computer. If you're on Spotify, we need 15 reviews. If you're on Apple, we need 12. Give us a five-star review. Uh, And then we are also releasing a lot of the panels from Permissionless on our YouTube. So we'll drop the link in the show notes. Chris Dixon, uh, Hasu did one on MEV that was really, really good. You can go over to the YouTube channel and subscribe. So anyways, we'll see you next week. Uh, We've got some really good episodes coming out. And uh, as always, thanks for listening. And Santi, be well, my friend. Thank you, guys. Stay safe out there. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 